Em Rossiano and Michael Lucas. If a girl looks like me, I'll go for her. I mean, come on. You've got to respect that. <laughs> this is Emsolation. For me, it was just blank rejection, no sex. <laughs> I don't think parents congratulate kids when they come out every time. I know I will if that happens here. That's your dream job. Sit at home with a microphone. Judging hot people. <laughs> You're in Emsolation. Hello, my pals and friends. How are you? Welcome to Emsolation on this Tuesday. Although I record on a Monday and who knows what day you listen on. Strange, isn't it? Look, school is back for us and Odette, my 13-year-old, is excited. I mean, I have never seen her so excited about school. And we're gonna we're off today to get a few bits and pieces. We're gonna get some mascara and some moisturizer. Do you know at 13, she already has a three-step beauty routine. She cleanses, she tones. And she moisturises. At her age, I remember washing my face with the leftover Decorade two-in-one shampoo conditioner and then, like, putting toothpaste on my pimples. <laughs> but she only already knows to, like, you know, do you remember when you read Dolly magazine and it was like, delicately tap the eye cream under your eye with your ring finger because that has the lightest touch. Those are the things that are stored in my memory. I don't know why. She already knows to do that. Now, her and I were chatting about the goings-on in the world because. So I've got to kind of, if you have a 13-year-old or 14-year-old, you know, they kind of go into that monosyllabic grunting phase where it's hard to get a conversation out of them. So I've got to, it's like waiting on the side of a skipping rope trying to jump in. you just got to pick the moment where they're relaxed. And usually it's when her and I are in the car. So we were in the car just chatting and I was really keen to know how much she knew about what was going on in the world. And I was really amazed at how across the protests she was here and in America. And she had a clear understanding of why and how. She'd also had her own informed opinion on what needed to happen. And I was so pleasantly surprised because, you know, Odie spends a lot of time, she's, she's got an upstairs nook area. It's her little art studio and she's up there painting and watching vampire romance shows a lot. That's how she's kind of getting through isolation. Don't worry, I relate. And I was surprised and I said, how do you know all of this? And she said, TikTok, mum. I said, TikTok? She said, yeah. And here I was thinking that it was all like swooshy dance movements in glamorous active wear and lip syncing to world leaders. No. TikTok has been informing our youth. So maybe ask your kids how much they've taken in. Now, I mean, I'm just glad she's taken in good stuff. And I'm obviously growing up around Scott and I in a fairly fairly left-leaning, you know, I'm sure our views have somehow infused into her. But I'm just really proud of the, the information she picked up and how she filtered it and how she processed it. So TikTok isn't all bad. Now... I've been thinking a lot about how I want to keep acknowledging and amplifying the Black Lives Matter movement and because it, it feels wrong to kind of just trundle on as I have been and, and I still want to talk about irreverent things and life and but I also want to be committed and a better ally as you guys know and I know a lot of you do too. So I thought that maybe I could highlight a different charity or organisation at the top of the podcast for the next little while as a way to help you guys make a difference also. And on Saturday, obviously, there was all the protest marches happened across the country and after much thought and deliberation and backwards and forwards, I decided with my family that we wouldn't go because I have been very staunch on flattening the curve and, and wanting to, you know, keep COVID-19 under control and so it just felt 
but I really wanted to be there. And so I chose to instead make a donation to a couple Indigenous charities and organisations that benefit our Indigenous population. Um, and one of the charities I chose, which was one that really spoke to me, as soon as I heard about it, I was like, yes, I want to be involved, is one called Sisters Inside. Because First Nations women and girls are massively overrepresented in our prisons. And this is from their website. Um, they say, without housing, adequate income, accessible healthcare, and positive family and community life, women and girls are trapped in a vicious cycle with very few genuine choices to improve their lives. So Sisters Inside work alongside women and girls to build them up and to give them power over their own lives. They support women and girls to address their priorities and needs. They advocate on behalf of the women with government and within the legal system to try and achieve fairer outcomes for criminalised women, girls and their children. And that's the component I also love. They help the children of women who are incarcerated. So I think it's a fantastic charity. I've already donated. It's sistersinside.com.au. I really think it's a worthwhile thing for you to look into and um, hopefully it helps you feel a bit more empowered to um, keep helping and being a better ally and keep listening to what we need to do. All right, well, we've got Michael Lucas coming up and also Scotty Barrow, my husband, the amazing professional performance coach that he is. He's going to be helping me out today. Um, we'll talk about it when he gets here, but I have a tend to kind of spiral to worst case scenario and things go wrong. I don't know if you do. So he kind of said to me this morning, we had, we've got some great ones you guys have sent him, but he said, um, last night I did it. He said, why don't we talk about your spiraling today? I said, okay, let's do that. So we'll be doing that as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for all your amazing responses to last week's podcast. And, um, yeah, we're going to keep pushing on with emsolation, even though we're semi out of it. Um, and there's some emsolation merch coming as well. Soon you'll be able to wear your pride on your T-shirt, which will be good. Uh, so I'll, I'll stop talking now. I don't know, I've got a bit of verbal diarrhea today, guys. We'll stop now. We'll get Michael Lucas in. We've got to talk MasterChef, obviously, all the soggy broccoli news. That's next. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is Emsolation. All right. Well, uh, we are down to the pointy end of our favourite TV show. Michael Lucas, come immediately in. There was some soggy broccoli <laughs> <laughs> situations last night. Naked broccoli, I On believe, Sunday night. was the name oh, of the dish. God, we um, we lost Simon, Simon and his foppy fringe that needs some hair product. <laughs> and his commitment to vegetables. And oh. let's just say that was the ship he went down on. Oh, my God. I know. Like Simon feels that um, the way forward for all of us in Australia is eating vegetables. That was what his solution, that was his, that was his heartfelt explanation and I just feel like the classic Aussie dish, broccoli doesn't come to mind. No. But I think, I think if you were saying what re- best represented Australia at this point in time, perhaps soggy broccoli is a good metaphor. <laughs> Passionate former vegan Michael supports his commitment to vegetables, but also it was wasn't it like it was like broccoli with served with a broccoli reduction? It was just like it was I know, but you know what it was for me. Like even if he nailed every component. Was this ever going to be a good outcome? (laughs) Not when you've got Reynolds right next to him constructing the Sydney Harbour Bridge out of a deconstructed cherry ripe situation. Can we we even talk about it? Like Reynolds, um, you know, 
that there were cracks starting to appear in the meringue. So he's like, oh, well, I've got 30 seconds to plate up. I'll fix it. But it's just like I, now, though, for me, I'm like, oh, well, Reynolds, where was the harbour? Where was some birds? Where was <laughs> where was vivid lights being constructed with gelatin? Like, I want more from him now. So like with Simon, we're like, come on, Simon, steam that broccoli. But with Reynolds, I'm like, all right, well, where's where's the rest of it? <laughs> where's the where's the Sydney Harbour Bridge that explodes with real fireworks? <laughs> is, Reynolds is becoming a bit of a cliche of himself. Like how I mean, what it what, what it's a science experiment and I love it. Like so often he goes to that science experiment desk with the dry ice oh. and the blow torches oh, and the it's exciting. It's wild. When he gets the meth lab out, I get excited. I get really excited. So we're down down to the top ten. So we've got um, Reynolds, obviously, Poe, and then the other people who are not going to win, Callum, Laura, Reese, Tessa, Amelia, Brendan, <laughs> I don't know. I'm Amelia, I've got, I reckon she could be a dark horse. Really? I don't think she's going to win, but I reckon she could sort of just quietly make her way into the final into the final few. Also, I mean, are we really grasping it a bit that the top 10 is such a massive thing? Are they just drumming up something out of nothing? Like is top 10 the, the I don't know, the pinnacle of MasterChef or something? Like, I, mean, I know, but I also yeah. feel like MasterChef's been on for the last like 25 weeks. I can't believe we're only at the top 10. Oh, and you know what? It's going to get longer because they're going to space it out. They're only going to, from. I think it's from next week, they're going to play MasterChef only Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Forget Wednesday and Thursday because because of the Rona, Channel 10 doesn't have enough shows to go oh. on air. So we are going to be, this season of MasterChef, it actually might not end. Oh, my it God. Might just go on you know, I, I will confess I only watch Sunday nights because I'm too busy every other night. I mean, who's got time to commit every night to a TV show at the same time? So I Well, clearly me. I know. But, um, but you know, I do just really. watch Sunday nights and I just, I just, I was watching last night and the ads came on and there was someone said something like, oh, it's such a hard time in the world right now. And I was suddenly I realised I was talking about coronavirus. I was like, oh, my God. That's right. Remember, yeah. remember coronavirus? <laughs> I just was sat there going, oh, wow, they're talking about all the uh, all the protests. And, and I was like, oh, no, they're talking about coronavirus. I never thought with coronavirus, as I didn't think with the bushfires, I get to a point where that was like, oh, yeah, like I had to be reminded. Oh, yeah. Remember those simple times when we would sit here in isolation chatting about aerobics on style? I miss those times. <laughs> such a long time ago. So, yes, I'm I'm, I'm kind of glad that's less time commitment for MasterChef, but I do think it's just, it's Reynolds to lose, let's be honest. I mean, uh, uh, can I just quickly, we did discover something unfortunate about Reynolds in that he, he did have a touch of homophobia. A touch? Like, okay, a very heavy-handed serving of. He had some soggy broccoli, soggy broccoli homophobia going on. Mm. And it is remiss of us. We need to address it because you are a homosexual and I am homosexual <laughs> adjacent. Um, what? How can you reconcile, like, what he said and still being a fan of the cooking? Can you separate the art from the person? Is he still homophobic? You need to explain for people who don't know. Well, he yeah, he was on some sort of bodybuilding Reddit page because mm. he himself was into bodybuilding. You can also, if you want to dig into this story, you can also go and check out his form of bodybuilding pictures, and it does make sense of why he's so buff at the moment. Mm. And what was the actual comment? The comment was something like, uh, honestly, they should all be shipped away to an island just with themselves and they'd be happy and straight people wouldn't have to 
put up with them or something like that. It was it was bad. It was bad. You can't really get much worse. It was pretty awful. And he was 21, 22 yeah. or something at the time. Yeah. So it wasn't like it wasn't like he was 14. But we're in a climate where these things are coming back to haunt everyone. If you haven't had a perfect track record, I mean, and this is, and but he's since like, he apologised and said he's a different person now, right? Yeah, but I mean, I think in some ways you're right, this is happening to everyone, but it does sort of, because it is happening to everyone, I think cancellation, I think people are starting to realise <laughs> cancellation has to be reserved for the Harvey really Weinsteins yeah. of the world and that I, he did he did do a really sincere apology. I mean, I, the person that I, people that I want to hear from, uh, the gay contestants on MasterChef this year, like, did you get, did you have any vibe from him that this was his attitude or has he genuinely No, they're all reformed? buddies. They were all at his restaurant together last week. Hayden Quinn posted them and, um, Everyone well, I'd love to know whether he reached out to them in the wake of it and, and sort of said, you Me know, this, this article's come out and, and mm. I don't know. But, I mean, ultimately, uh, and not just that I'm impressed with the Opera House cherry ripe situation he whips <laughs> up, but, you know, I, I mean, you've, got, yeah, you've mm. got to believe in change. Yes. And all and of us are out there fighting in the hope that people will change. And so if people have changed, yeah. you can't, you can't just them. annul their entire life achievement and- or, uh, you know. And yeah. I'm also down for a proper apology, like a, an totally. apology that says I was wrong, I'm sorry, I want to be better. And that's all we want from apologies. There's a few apologies floating around like Leah Michelle from Glee where she blames other people for perceiving her problem, her, her behaviour in a certain way. That's not an apology. Apology should only ever be on yourself. So you're like, well, okay, good. Well, well let's, um, let's see how Renault goes. And uh, I, speaking of food... Oh, big step for me on the weekend. I had breakfast at a cafe, a local (gasps) cafe with my middle child, Odette, my youngest child, Elio. It's a great cafe uh, called Now and Not Yet. It's run by volunteers. They donate money to community projects. I love it. So I thought I wanted to go somewhere, you know, I wanted to put my money back out into the cafe community and a a worthwhile place and – Look, it was good. I have to say, it was nice. <laughs> did you disinfect yourself completely as soon as you got home? Oh yes, yes, I, I, I did. I had, I also had hand sanitizer in my handbag. But I, um, they were very good at, you know, there were rangers around making sure that people were behaving in correct manners and cafes were abiding by rules. So I thought that was good. There's cleaning teams around as well. I see them all around my area now, just walking around with their little spray bottles. I think this is something that should always be. I'm loving the clean teams. <laughs> I would actually think about volunteering in a clean team. I think it's really? Fantastic. Oh, my dream is to walk around with a bottle of Ajax. In the middle of Melbourne winter. <laughs> yes, love it. <laughs> now, but you have been like, you're the cafe king. I know. Look, have I been most days? You might even say I've been every day. <laughs> But I live, to, for context, I live in Northcote. So basically, you know, the whole point of living here is the cafes. I live right on High Street. Yeah. And and as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I love to start my day doing a little bit of work in a cafe. And I thought that might not be possible hmm. in the current environment with bookings. But our cafes, you, you book for an hour. Yes. And so I feel like pretty comfortable using that whole hour in, in whatever manner I choose, as long as I'm purchasing food. But I am digging the 20-person cap. 
it's like a whole new, it just feels so calm in the cafe. It's not noisy and crazy and there's not, you know, cutlery clattering around. There's something really zen about it. Mm. And and especially having been deprived of a cafe for so long, it's just to, to eat food that someone else has made for you and plate it up for you. <gasps> so nice. It's, you it reminds what? you, it's such a luxury. It's such it a is. luxury that we take for granted and to get it again after all this time, oh, I love it. I love Melbourne cafes. Do you know what I saw though? I saw, I went to get a takeaway ca- cafe from another, my other favourite cafe and I saw a waitress having to confront a patron who'd been sitting on a cappuccino for like an hour and hadn't ordered oh. any food. Oh, no. I know. And let's say if you're going to a cafe and you're taking up a seat, you've got to order food. Like that has to be just we all have to collectively agree because these poor cafes are surviving on like 20 people and yeah. this woman was on a like I could see she'd had two cappuccinos and she's just reading a little book and I, I like I saw the waitresses all kind of talking and then one of them had to go and go look are you going to order any food you kind of have to and she was very polite she was lovely and the woman was like oh oh um like she didn't she ended up going but it's like don't don't go in there and sit at a table and only have, you know, $5 worth of coffee. <laughs> oh, no. I spend big. Yeah. I go multiple <laughs> coffees, teas, full meal, and then if they want a little sweet sort of situation on the way out, I'm open to that too. I'm just <laughs> so grateful. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that the cafes, your happy place has opened up. Your creative juices could flow again. I will probably, I don't know, look, I'll just wait a couple of weeks and make sure I'm not contacted out of contact tracing, you know, because they take your name and everything, make sure it's all safe. Yeah. I have another meal again. <laughs> I had, this is so tragic, but I was walking down High Street on Saturday night. It was the first Saturday night where, I mean, obviously it wasn't a pumping Saturday night because no. everything's limited so much, but all my favourite little restaurants and bars were open and I teared up. I'm, I mean, pathetic. Oh. Is it pathetic? But I did. <laughs> a little it bit. It did make me realise. <laughs> Because you, I don't think you were tearing up for the small business owners who finally have some income bobbing in. I don't feel like that was where your <laughs> emotion was. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> obviously. I mean, it, well, maybe partially, maybe a little side tear. <laughs> no, mostly it was me just thinking, oh, it's a good life, really. Oh. It is. <laughs> oh, this is pathetic. It's really gone downhill. Nah, it's good. No, well, I'm glad. All right, we'll chat uh, on Thursday. Thank you. Bye. This is Emsolation. All right, we've got to the Scott Barrow, my husband segment, the voice of reason, the helpfulness, the non-irreverence, some irreverence. Um, Scotty, you're going to be helping me today. Great. (laughs) Which is something you have to do when the mics aren't rolling. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about my tendency to spiral to worst case scenario when I encounter a setback or some negative feedback. I specifically on Saturday, as previously mentioned in this podcast, decided not to march in the protest, but instead to donate to an Indigenous indigenous charity um, called Sisters Inside. Um, Now there was a movement happening, Scott, I don't know if you're aware, for people who couldn't march, it was hashtag show your receipts, which was basically hoping to hold people accountable when they said they were going to donate by asking people to screenshot their receipt and put it on social media. And I am denied over whether I should put the amount up. And in the end, I decided not to because I didn't want people to feel uncomfortable about it or it maybe felt like that what I was donating, they should donate. You know, I overthought it as I always do. And then I got pinged by a few people and said, why didn't you show us how much you donated? How do we know? And so I thought, oh, God, okay. So I said how much I donated. And then another person came for me and said, you're, you're only looking for a pat on the back. This is grandstanding activism. This isn't real. 
blah, blah, blah. So I came to you and I said, oh, God, it's over. I just, I, I feel like I'm a fraud and people think I'm disingenuous and I think my career's over and I think no one's going to want to be involved with me or anything that I promote. Like that's where I go to. I'm gonna, I've been speaking a long time now, I'm aware, so I'm going to hand it over to you. Why do people do that? People like me, why do we go from zero to 100? Um, it's probably because there's some sort of payoff ultimately. Mm. Um, it's kept, that behaviour might be kept in place because it does something for you. Mm-hmm. So can I come back to you then? What What do you reckon it might do for you going zero to 100? I think it enables me to prepare for the worst case scenario. I think it's a protection thing. Yeah. So you protect. So if, you know, you know it's coming. So that is good if the worst case scenario comes. But then probably if you look back in history of your spirals, the worst case scenario has come how many times? Twice. What were they? Well, when I was in breakfast radio and was in kind of a bit of a war with the company I worked for, um, who ironically put my podcast out now, so, you know, all relationships here. <laughs> um, I was portrayed in the press as difficult, explosive, impossible to work with, all those things, all my worst fears that I thought people would think of me simply because I think I was quite direct in the workplace and said no a lot. And I'm not denying there were probably times where I was difficult, impossible and explosive. That would be a good way to explain to explain me sometimes. And then I got dragged through the press and then everyone, no one wanted to work with me. And so it all, I did end up losing a lot of work. I lost a couple sponsorships and jobs because of all that. So the worst case scenario did happen in that case. Yeah, right. So that wasn't that, but when it did. But as a percentage of maybe, do you think, what percentage overall of these situations do spiral to worst case scenario? I don't know. You said two. How many have there been? <laughs> I see what you're getting at. No. There's no precedence for this. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel silly. I'm just trying to sort of point to the fact that sometimes we have this spiraling behaviour and it's disproportionate yeah. in, in, the, when, in the cool light of day. But what I want to ask you is I want you to give some tangible help here because I know that your job is to ask questions and help people come to realisations, but you have experience with me enough to know that, I want you to help me when I receive that kind of information, when I receive the the negative feedback or whatever, what can be a plan of attack for my brain to not go to worst case scenario straight away? My career's over. I'm not going to be able to support my family. We're going to lose our house. Um, All the things I'm going to live with my parents again. I'm going to embarrass my children. All the things that I go to, how can I stop my brain from sliding to a hundred? Yeah, so there's a lot of different, um, when you say all that stuff, there's almost like a lot of priorities, a lot of things that are important. So I'm thinking rather than dealing with all of it, because you can't, you know, it's pretty hard to do that, what would be the biggest thing that you could take care of or the most important thing to focus on or the thing like the starting domino that takes care of the most? The filter I apply when I receive the feedback or the information. So what is a stopgap or a... Um, a, a mantra or a, a, a theory that I can do straight away. So, yep. So, so it's, I mean, we there's a bit of a pattern here at least, and I, I've challenged myself to reckon, to think about on these podcasts, am I sort of saying the same thing? Am I trying to hit every problem with a hammer as though it's a nail? But I guess the first thing for you might be to uh, recognise that you're, having, you're experiencing these feelings and all that. 
And then I reckon you could say try and transfer out of that, but I reckon for you it might be contain it, as in set yourself up in a container and let yourself go there, let yourself feel it, let yourself worry and all that. And it might be you might contain it via a time. I'm going to give myself five minutes. Like, again, that requires a level of mindfulness. But at the, pop, the point about it is let yourself go into it and feel it fully and then somehow be able to go, okay, noticing that you, that's what you're feeling. And then you've got the substitute thing to come in. So it's like if you could label that es- like the escalation or the spiral, what would be like a, another lens to bring on? What I mean, what do you think? What would be what would be a lens that takes care of those priorities about safety and not things not getting destroyed, but still allows you to act in a way? Do you know what I mean? Well, for me, it's verbalizing it straight away. For me, it's talking to you and Michael Lucas. Like I spoke to you both about this straight away. And also in this particular instance, it's that it doesn't like I, I was just going through so many things in terms of realizing I needed to be a better ally, but not wanting to look like I was just jumping on a bandwagon, but this isn't about you, Wim, stop putting yourself in the middle of it, stop being selfish and self-focused and then punishing myself for that and then wanting to start all over again, but then should I stay silent? But no, silence is is violence. And so it was this whole big thing and then, you know, and then I realized just chill out. Yeah, so all that stuff, can you see the um, the multitude of thoughts and thinking? So at that point, you are totally, your attention is totally engaged in your thoughts. And the Buddhists call this monkey mind, where one thought swings to another and to another and to another. So at that point, you are not going to fix it. You are not going to get salvation or you need clarity. So you've got to be able to disengage from thinking to become present and that's when you can see clearly. So it's so it's almost like, okay, I'm noticing, I'm having all these thoughts. How do I disengage myself? Do I go and play music? Do I go go for a walk? Do I exercise? Whatever. Do you know what I mean? What would it be for you? I sat with the baby. I mean, that helped. But I also was able to sit and reflect that my genuine intentions were pure and good and I can't – I always get into trouble when I try to control other people's perceptions of me. And so I sat with myself and was like, well, you know that you're coming from the from the right place and this is a, a long-haul thing and you're going to come bang into people who are making – you're maybe making them feel a bit guilty about their inaction or, you know, so I guess it's me not trying to control – be so controlling, full stop, control outcomes of situations, control people's perceptions of me. That's been a real big thing for me is um, just moving forward on my own track having good intentions, doing what I believe is right and trying not to absorb other people's issues with that. Or what you think other people's issues of that might be too. Sometimes you don't know. Mm-hmm. So uh, so you still haven't given me what I want. What do you want? I want you to tell me how to put the brakes on monkey mind in a moment. Give me, give me something that everyone listening now, and I know this would apply to a lot of people listening. Oh, God, he's ripping them up from my hands, guys. He's ripping it from my hands. Go. Okay, so how do you disengage from monkey mind? So let's use the car analogy. You're in gear, you're spinning your gears. How do you put the clutch in to get free space between you and the gears? So you use an example. Um, 
tuning into the baby, becoming essentially this is about becoming present before you can solve anything, before you can think about proper ways to think about this, before you can make good actions and decisions. It's about becoming present and that's where our wisdom is and our clarity is and also our best performance. So that's where our best brain power is. It's also where our calmness is and our clarity. So how, so then this is now a discussion about what would, what sort of ways can you use to become present that would be practical for you? in those moments so i don't know those things you or do know. well <laughs> when you're dealing with me, i think i think the first thing for you would be always venting venting yes. and what the thing i did differently and i was getting triggered as i was listening to you out of concern and a bit of emotional thing for me and maybe even a, a bit of emotional impatience about listening to you having heard this thing before and part of my dialogue is going how come she hasn't learned about how to handle these things before? But I'm I'm kind to that because I'm I do the same thing. We all do the same thing. So um, for you, vent, but vent in a, in a with in a container. So it might be a time container, ten minutes or half an hour, or with safe people or without uh, access to, you know, typing out messages. You know what I mean? Don't do dumb decisions. So vent, breathe, and then that's something to just just engage you and having fun with the baby, walking, um, doing something else, music. I don't know, something that you think is going to tune you in. And and sometimes those things that you're going to use to disengage yourself from your thoughts, they're not necessarily going to be entertaining and sexy. So that's it becomes a skill which you might have to practice. You have to train that ability to disengage from the, the, the over-revving gears. That's where that sometimes this stuff is not sexy and easy and brilliant and it's just this lovely flow. Sometimes there's a bit of grit and grunt required and then over time it becomes automatic and easy. That's good. Thanks. Can I just give a bit of advice to people who are married to solvers? I'm married to a solver. And that this isn't necessarily gendered either. You could be in any type of relationship, same sex, whatever, there's always usually someone who's a solver and someone who's a dreamer. I mean, if we're going to generalize or someone who's like the emotion, <laughs> the emotion and the pragmatist. I find it really easy best when I need to vent to Scott and I do, I, I say to him, I don't want you to solve. I just want you to listen. And I've even told him the things I want him to say. I, I want him to say things like, that must be really hard for you. I'm sorry that happened. Is there anything I can do to help? Don't worry, we'll get through it together. Yeah, that the biggest thing Scott can say to me, and I, I think I've referenced this once a week since the podcast started, when Homer gets in bed with Marge and says, Mr. Burns is going to take everything, and, and Marge says, don't worry, homie, it'll be okay. I need Scott to say, don't worry, homie, it'll be okay. Homie, too, and that makes me feel good because it makes me feel like I'm a gangster in the hood with you, so that's good feeling. But you know how before you said um, – the amount of uh, the percentage of times you've spiraled out and it's gone to the end is like two out of a hundred, say, in your lifetime. Just say, well, what percentage have I done that one right for you? Where I've just said, don't worry, it'll be okay. Two out of a hundred. <laughs> he's he's working on it. He's fine. He's working on it. And it's just, I just my little tip for those of you who are in a relationship with a solver, like give them your. Yeah, give them your expectations. Give them, tell them what you would like. It, be explicit. Trust me, it's worth it. All right, thank you very much. That's helped. I hope that's helped some other people. Don't forget, if you like Scotty to tackle something in your life that's puzzling you, blocking you, hello at mraciano.com. 
And that's it for Emsolation today. Don't forget, um, if you'd like to learn more about Sisters Inside, just go to sistersinside.com.au. And um, we'll be back again on Thursday. No extra episode this week, guys. It's been put out six episodes in the last two weeks. Who do I think I am? All right, we'll chat later. Have a great day or week or weekend or whenever you're listening to this. I never know. All right, bye. A Podcast One production.